Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Ramon Soriano Tomka from La Calle coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week, Mary Clarkson, the co-owner of Avondale Food and Wine. Mary, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm well, Eric. Thank you for having me once again. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yes, we had a we got a lot of I got a lot of positive comments on our <laughs> year-end wrap-up show that basically <laughs> consisted of five people making fun of me for 45 minutes. I'm pretty sure we were all going to get fired after that day, but uh, No, no, it, hey, it apparently here. it worked out it worked out great. <laughs> Uh, but we are back to the normal format today, so... Just you and me. Just you and me. Let's dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, Kane Rosso in Montrose closed at the end of December. This is not necessarily a huge surprise. That is my part of Montrose. I am a... That is, yeah, that is where I live. And even I felt like I couldn't get good service there. As much as I liked the pizza and then they, you know, the location was a struggle from the get-go. They struggled to find the right staff for it. They brought in Jonathan Jones to tweak the menu. He did. I actually, I liked a lot of those changes, but it still never quite caught on and now it's gone. I have a couple of thoughts about this. I will put my real estate attorney broker hat on for a minute. Um, I don't typically like restaurants that are in these mixed-use, more office, uh, high-rise type developments. They're they're a hard um, thing in Houston and a lot of locations, especially in Montrose. I feel like people either want you in a standalone location or maybe a small little strip center like where Velvet Taco is and... Um, East Hampton sandwich, you get some synergy between the businesses. There was nothing else to draw people into this location. And I went there with you for the opening and we had a great time, but the Heights location is really the model of success for them. I think this Montrose location was a mistake for them. Well, clearly, I mean, clearly it was because it, it closed and it never really caught on. I, I do wonder about that location it has some advantages. It has a great patio. It's a beautiful patio and plenty of parking. Well, except you can't see the parking. Yep. The parking is in the garage, kind of right behind the restaurant. From your perspective as a restaurateur, it, what is it about, like, people need to see the parking. People in Houston are entitled. I, don't, I mean, I'm a native Houstonian. You are as well. Um, people like to either pull up and park or pull up and valet. Or be able to street park within a block or two. If you can't do one of those three things, you're at a disadvantage unless you're in a place like the Galleria um, or a really um, busy corridor. I mean, even Revokes District, for example, I mean, there's a valet every half a block around that center. People want their parking made easy. No, I, I agree with you. and I But I think, you know, valet at a pizzeria, right? I don't, yeah, you I don't can't think, do that. No. So I think I think they were sort of... Hamstrung it. And like I said, I mean, you know, I don't, well, yeah. I mean, let's just say they tried really high, hard to find a management team that would, that would Oof. work in the front of the house and nothing really came together for them. We could do a whole episode just on staffing crisis in Houston, Texas right now between front and back of the house. It is a real issue. It affects fine dining restaurants on down and if you don't have a good management team in place and you don't have good service, listen, you and I both love 713, Kitchen 713. If you don't have good service, you are going to die in this town. Yeah, especially, you know, as, as I always say, right, the quality of the service that people expect varies kind of from neighborhood to neighborhood and at a price point. Absolutely. Cheap restaurants in Chinatown can have shitty service. <laughs> and, that, and they do. <laughs> and that's, that's just part of the experience. But... The more money you pay and, and the farther inside the loop you are, the higher the expectations are. Yeah, Montrose is ground zero. Come on, if you can't get it right in Montrose, people are going to have a million other options. 
Right. But I am glad that the Heights location of Cane Rosso will remain open and that they do have this really fun New York style pizza concept called Zoli's in Dallas uh, that I've actually been to a couple of times. I would like to see that in Houston and they are talking about bringing it maybe to the suburbs. So, you know, this is not the end of Cane Rosso in Houston by any means, but, but certainly a setback. And, uh, I'm just going to throw this to you. Do you do you have an opinion about a concept that might work in that space? Yikes, it's tough. Um, if I were the landlord in this situation and I were trying to brainstorm to my broker about who I would be going after, I mean, I would honestly, I know it's Montrose, but it's a big space and I'm sure the rent's big. So I think he probably needs to go after somebody with some corporate money, something something chain-oriented. And I hate to say that for mantras, but those are the type of people who can pay the bills for this type of space. How would you feel about Tex-Mex? Tex-Mex would be great. Absolutely. There's some buzz that it might be Tex-Mex. Something casual. I don't think you want to go anything above uh, casual dining for this spot. It's too big of a space. So fine dining is not going to work. Semi-fine dining, the more casual, the better. Um, you need some deep pockets behind it. Even even though it's second generation turnkey, if you're a pizza concept, if you're something else, they're going to have to put some money and some work into it. Right. All right. Topic number two, Canino's Produce Company, the highest profile vendor at the Houston Farmer's Market, will close January 21st. I have to admit, like, I, I know that Canino's is there. I'm... I don't really cook enough to shop for a lot of vegetables outside of a grocery store, but this has been a staple in Houston for over 50 years. Uh, and essentially the owners just said that they're, they've gotten old enough that they want to retire. They couldn't find family members to take it over. So they're retiring and the business is going to close. This of course is coming at an interesting time for the Houston farmer's market. It was purchased a couple of years ago by MLB Capital Partners, a local investment firm, to redevelop it, uh, add, you know, more food vendors, sidewalks, outdoor area, better bathrooms. All of that is coming. Hashtag rent increase. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of the things that they they said when they announced this project was that they want to keep the original vendors in place. They want to do their best to preserve the character of the market. Not going to happen. They're saying that for goodwill. (laughs) All right. So (laughs) does the news that Canino's is closing, is that, is that maybe the first sign that, that those, those good words are not going to come to fruition? It makes me sad for Canino's. I get it. These guys are probably ready to retire. They've had a long, um, a long time there. What I fear for this whole development is, you know, these MLB partners come in they say they want to preserve it. I think maybe some of that's true. Maybe some of it they wanted goodwill with, with the surrounding neighborhood. But this entire neighborhood is gentrifying. The house prices are going up. The land prices are going up. If they're going to keep their current you know, mix of tenants, they're either going to have to give them some, some breaks on rent, at least for a certain amount of time, or inevitably the rent is going to go up. Their property taxes are going to go up and landlords pass that cost on to their tenants. So I fear it's going to turn into something completely different than what it is. And, and sometimes, you know, time changes all things and, and this neighborhood will have to change with it. But I just my gut instinct tells me that the the core of this development will not have the same tenants once it comes online in its new iteration. Well, and they're, obviously they're going to bring in a lot of new tenants. They're working with sure Chris Shepard on figuring out like who some of those people might be. Yeah, I mean, I I think you're spot on. The neighborhood has changed. It's it's much more expensive to buy a house in that part of town than it used to be. And we've seen incredible growth in that area, right? I mean, Pinkerton's barbecue, you've got the, the development with Huey's and Morningstar. Mm -hmm. That's all in that area. Lalo's nearby, Johnny's gold brick, Bernie's burger bus. All of that is kind of in that immediate area. You've got five, six, seven hundred thousand dollar houses around there now that are well, and and a whole foods. I mean, the whole foods 365 is like, Three blocks from there. So, yeah, none of this is a surprise, I guess. 
Uh, say go enjoy this this market while it still looks like something you remember. Yeah, I I would say that you know now is the time to make one last trip to the Houston farmers market, buy some you know out of market produce from Canino, you know, hit up the the spice ladies and and get yourself a a blend of something. And and if that uh, tuck and borrow truck is still out there that does the uh, the sweetbread tacos, those are uh, one of my favorites. I'm not. It's been years, but I remember them very fondly. All right. And speaking of changes in that neighborhood, topic number three, mm-hmm. Steve and Sean Sharma, the entrepreneurs who own Dirt Bar and El Big Bad, have a new purchase. They have acquired Vara's Sports Bar. This is a little bit hard to describe, but people may recognize it just from the freeway. As you're driving south on I-45 in the kind of cavalcade, Patton, North Main zone, this is the sports bar with all the Houston sports team logos painted on it. So even people who have never been there may recognize the building. Uh, Varus has operated for years with a beer and wine license, so the big change will be, will be adding liquor. But Sean told me that they want to keep it divy, right? They're not going to, they're not going to, the interior is full of like, you know, weird signs from tailgates and charity golf tournaments. And it's full of like NASCAR memorabilia. Uh, And if it's up to Sean, none of that's going anywhere. He wants to preserve the character of it. So Mary, let me, let me put it to you. How do you feel about a, uh, new school, old school, dive bar, revival in the Heights. Listen, these guys do a great job. Dirt Bar and its original iteration gave them the ability to do all of the things that they have today when they sold that concept um, over there, I believe off of Heights Boulevard right before I-10. Yes, it had to make way for the Walmart. Yes, which equals ka-ching paycheck for them. Um, So good for them for going to buy another bar. I know that they lease um, Dirt Bar downtown now and um, their other restaurant concept. But these guys started off as kind of dive dive bar off the beaten path bar owners. And um, good for them for returning to that in a a concept that they'll be able to completely control. Yeah, I, I, I mean, Sean has some plans you know, clean up the backyard, maybe at a steak night, but don't make it too nice. Yeah. No, the goal <laughs> is not to make it too nice. Let me just say he and I went to Vera's during the Texans game against Jacksonville. Um, that was a game that the Texans needed to win to preserve their playoff seating. So even though it was kind of a blowout, like it was an important game, uh, we got there at the, during the fourth quarter and the, uh, the bar had three people in it. So clearly this is an establishment that needs a little love, needs a little attention. And I, and I do think that, that Sean and Steve are maybe not uniquely equipped to give it, but, but certainly highly qualified. I think, I think it's right on time for them and, and let's see what they do. I can't wait to try it. Yeah. And then finally, I I don't want to dwell on this, but uh, Andrew Zimmern came to Houston and made an episode of the Zimmern list. He visited Gatlin's Barbecue, Crawfish and Noodle, Hugo's, Himalaya, and Ninfa's. Mm-hmm. Now, this is all pretty standard stuff, right? Like these, like if you're going to do a, a greatest hits of Houston food in 2019, these are probably uh, the places you would go. He also went to Better Luck Tomorrow, but it, it got left on the cutting room floor. Oh, no. Don't tell Bobby. Yeah. Well, I think Bobby knows because the episode has aired and he wasn't in it. Now, let me just put it to you. Did you did you watch the episode? I did not. Did you watch the clip that I put on Culture Map of the episode? I did. Okay. Have you so basically he instead of eating crawfish normally, which is to say separating the tail from the body, peeling the shell off and eating the meat. He takes the little legs, kind of the middle part of the carpus and eats the whole thing. Mary, have you ever seen anyone do that before? No. I haven't either. I asked around the Culture Map office. No one had ever seen that before. I compared eating crawfish shell to eating banana peel. Worse. 
and and I feel like this could have some some negative repercussions down the road. And he was eating there with Chris Shepard and his girlfriend, Lindsay Brown. And you catch Lindsay's expression that looks sort of surprised in the clip because no one's ever seen this before. Uh, my only hope is that we don't have a wave of tourists coming to Houston and eating crawfish shells. Because I just I don't think that's a good impression of the city. I mean, if you're Chris Shepard, just ask for a moment off camera and tell tell him how to eat it. Jeez, come on. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I I don't believe in correcting your guests, but at least make them not look like an idiot. Yeah, I'm afraid, poor Andrew. It's, he's having a he's having a rough go of it these days. He's opened a, a, apparently a pretty terrible Chinese restaurant in Minnesota that he's being blasted for. So Ugh. he's got bigger problems, but that that crawfish moment uh does not reflect well on his he could have just had culinary chris, authority he could have just had chris clean you know clean it and just hand it to him that that's how i would do it <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah all right that does it for the news of the week we will be right back with our restaurant of the week stick around you're listening to what's eric eating So, Mary, for our restaurant of the week, I would like to discuss Flying Fish. Yes. This is the new seafood restaurant. It just opened up in the Heights at the corner of Durham Drive and 19th Street. It is a fast, casual seafood concept from the Dallas-based restaurateurs that also own Flying Saucer, the very popular craft beer bar, and Rodeo Goat, the burger joint that opened a location in Edo, last year um i'm just gonna throw it to you what do you think of our meal at flying fish i'm gonna be really brutal here um they should have opened in the suburbs not the heights <laughs> see i kind of like it in the heights i think all right why do you say that uh i just it's very pedestrian it's um you know it's your typical uh menu that you would expect fried shrimp fried catfish Oysters, very Louisiana-inspired, gumbo, po'boys, keep on going down the list. Um, They just lack on seasoning. Um, The dessert was incredible. I'll give them uh, credit for that. The banana bread pudding was uh, pretty pretty yummy. Or not bread pudding, sorry. Yeah, just Um, banana pudding. Banana pudding. Old school classic banana pudding. It reminded me of the way my grandmother makes it, so that's a highlight. I don't know. I just... Too many dining options in Houston. If I want... This Cajun-inspired thing, I'm going to go to BB's. I, no, mm-mm, I wasn't feeling it. That's fair, yeah. I mean, I, I think that describing it as kind of a more Southern, less Cajun, BB-style seafood joint is probably pretty accurate. I mean, I will say there are things, there are things about it that I liked. I liked the kind of, uh, you know, they took a tire shop and it's got kind of a rustic, you know, casual vibe to it. Kitchy. It's very affordable, yeah. right? We got a catfish fillet, French fries, hush puppies, and four shrimp for like fifteen bucks, yeah. which I feel pretty good about. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm I think I think we may have caught them at the end of what what undoubtedly was a very long weekend. Uh, but you know, the catfish wasn't fried well; it was mushy. the The shrimp actually were pretty good. They were all right. Fried okra were pretty good. Onion rings overcooked. Onion rings overcooked. Frozen French fries. 20-minute line to order. <laughs> yeah, they need another <laughs> register. I mean, clearly clearly they need another register because the restaurant wasn't that busy. You know, and, and the line, I think we were at the end of the long line because after we ordered, they didn't really have one for the rest of the night. I would drink a beer here on the outside on a pretty day. That's about it. Yeah, it's got a nice patio and a decent little craft beer selection, which is what you would expect given there. Yep. There are other concepts. Uh, like I said, I do like how affordable it is. Uh, I did like those fried shrimp. I'd be curious to go back and try some of the grilled options. I heard good things from a person I trust about the lobster stew, so maybe there's some other I would try highlights the, on the menu. I would try the gumbo, but I have a high caliber of what I expect from gumbo, so I don't know. I, I, will, I would try it again, but only, only for you, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the only reason you went in the first place. True. All right. And then I just want to note uh, that I made my first visit to Blood Brothers Barbecue over the weekend. This is the Bel Air brick and mortar uh, from the 
long running barbecue pop up. Uh, I mean, not much to say about this other than it was excellent. I went with uh, my good friend Michael Fulmer, the co-founder of the Houston Barbecue Festival. We got all four meats, brisket, pork ribs, turkey, and their house-made jalapeno cheese sausage. Uh, Really good bark on the brisket, really well-seasoned, nicely rendered. Uh, Pork ribs were juicy. They were particularly good. Sides. You know, cream corn with a little bit of chopped jalapeno in it. That's a that's a very pleasant way to eat that dish. Mac and cheese was kind of whatever. Uh, I'm not a coleslaw person. The beans are really good. They they use some beer in that in that mix, and you can really taste that kind of hoppy hoppy beer flavor in the beans. Uh, it's a nice space. Really, the only problem is that they just uh, they've been selling out really fast. They have kind of limited smoker capacity, and they have just been getting hammered but there are probably not three nicer guys in Houston barbecue than uh, Terry and Robin Wong who are the owners and their their pitmaster qui uh, and it's just a uh, it's a it's a really nice addition especially in Bel Air where there's there's kind of old school uh, what, what I would call bad barbecue there's bad a lot of there's barbecue. a lot of that in Bel Air there's yeah. there has not been new school uh, more aggressively seasoned, more smoked, good barbecue until now. Uh, and it's in the same shopping center as Bernie's Burger Bus. So I'm hoping that there's some uh, synergy brewing uh, between the two concepts, brisket burgers, you know, some some sort of uh, Bernie's fries topped with their brisket. I mean, all of those, all of those things feel like possibilities. And obviously as they get, uh, as they get their, as they get used to day-to-day restaurant operations, uh, the specials that they do, the gojujang beef belly, the the uh, Thai-spiced uh, boudin, all of that stuff will become uh, more regularly featured on the menu. So uh, really, really strong first visit to Blood Brothers Barbecue, and uh, I look forward to my next visit. I'm excited for them. I mean, their food has always been wonderful as far as barbecue. I think from Fiji's barbecue to this one, these are probably the two most popular things people have looked forward to the most. Um, I'm excited to try it with you. I wanted to go before lunch today, but I understand that the lines are already very long. Well, and they're not open. We're, we're recording this on a Monday and they are only open Wednesday through Sunday. So lunch only Wednesday through Sunday. Uh, Good to know. More, more to come, maybe as as they again they're they're still they're still getting used to this whole daily restaurant operations thing, but uh, off to a very strong start. Yay! All right, Mary. Before you get out of here, what's going on at Avondale Food and Wine? All right, for January, we've got a couple things coming up. We are part of the um, Basque Chocotex, um Festival that's going to be going on between the 18th through the 31st. We're in good company with Uchi, Venology, Nancy Sussel. Uh, Chris from Camerata, of course, is heading that up. Nobies. Um, so we're excited about this to be able to pour some Basque wines. We'll also have a Basque menu uh, during those dates to accompany that and a lot of wine retail, uh, retail wine available uh, during that period as well. And for all of January, we've got 30 wines under 30 bucks available for retail purchase or in the restaurant. So uh, good deals. It's a good month to uh, get out of your bubble and try something, try something new. Yeah, no, no sober January at Avondale Food and Wine. No sober January. No, that's boring. No, <laughs> pass. All right, Mary, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you, Eric. And I will be right back with Ramon Tompkins. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? I'm joined this week by Ramon Soriano Tomka, the owner of La Calle Tacos in downtown Houston. Ramon, welcome to the show. How are you? Ah, excellent. Very good. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, thanks for being here. Whenever I do these interviews, I always like to start at the beginning. So how did you find yourself in the restaurant business? I'm a now second generation uh, restaurateur. My dad used to have a restaurant uh, in Mexico City. And I basically spent all of my weekends, you know, uh, in, in the kitchen, helping out at the cashier. And so I, I loved uh, uh, being there. Uh, pretty interesting, um, you know, the, the the kind of environment in downtown where my taco uh, place is, where La Calle is, is uh, very, very similar to what my uh, father's restaurants uh, used to be. 
So that's, you know, I started there. That's, I went to school. I studied uh, hospitality. Uh, and that's what I've done all of my life. I've never had a, a desk job in my life. I've always been in restaurants. So when did you come to America? I came in, um, in, in 04. Um, I was hired, I used to work for, I was a director of operations for Burger King in, uh, in Mexico City. And um, a Mexican restaurant chain in uh, L.A. In, um, uh, hired me. They brought me over to kind of uh, handle their operations. So I was uh, selling uh, burgers in Mexico, and then I came to the States to sell tacos. Kind of a <laughs> flip-flop over there. And, um, mm-hmm. so, how did you, so how did you wind up in Houston then? Well, I, I was all over the place. Um, I was working for this uh, Mexican restaurant. Then uh, TGI Fridays... Uh, contact me they uh, hired me to go and manage the uh, New Jersey market the Northeast market for TGI Fridays I went from living in Burbank California to Parsippany New Jersey so that was a big cultural shock as you can imagine um, then Fridays transferred me over to Dallas I was in Dallas with them for uh, a few years uh, and then the uh, someone uh, top uh, person in uh, Fridays uh, became the CEO for ignite. Uh, and I was, they, he brought a lot of uh, Friday's people over, um, and I was working for the Joe Scrapshack uh, brand for, for Ignite, and they brought me from Dallas, they brought me to, to Houston. So that's how I, I was all, all over the place. Uh, let me tell you that as soon, I was in several places, as soon as I uh, hit Houston, I was like, this is, this is home. This is where I want to be for a while, because it's the place that uh, is the most similar to Mexico City uh, of the places where I've been. In, in what sense? Uh, you know what? In just the, uh, a lot of the architecture of, of, of the city, you know, it has the combination of uh, big, you know, tall buildings and a great skyline. And then there's like uh, so small old places, the streets, all of that. Uh, but also I think the main thing is that people in Houston, uh, in difference from other places, people in Houston are from Houston. Uh, it does, does not happen in, uh, you know, in L.A. That does not happen in the, in the Northeast. People are not from there. So all of like the family bonds that I saw here, the friendship bonds, you know, friends that have been friends forever uh, here in Houston, it's kind of unique. It's not typical of the, of the places where I, uh, where I was there. You know, I, I, I find a real split. I mean, there, there's definitely a, a component of native Houstonians. Mary, you know, Mary, who was just on the show is one. I'm, I'm certainly one, but then I, I find a lot of transplants, people who've come here mm-hmm. from, you know, the, the world of oil and gas inevitably, Mm-hmm. Uh, brings in people, and and so I I like that mix of kind of yep. you know people who are excited about new and and people who kind of remember the way the city used to be. I think I think it presents yep. like a a fun dynamic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. All right. So so you've been doing the corporate restaurant thing. Yes. When did you or or why did you decide that the the time had come to get out and and start your own business? Well, um, the the concept of La Calle, I I made it. Uh, when I was uh, working to, uh, with that uh, chain in um, in LA, this was huge operations, five million dollar uh, uh, stores, each one, you know, huge huge volume, uh, and they had like a torteria, panaderia, taqueria, you know, they had like all of these little islands. And the second day working there, I uh, saw the Pemex, and I realized this is <laughs> this is it. Eighty percent of those sales, eighty percent of that Pemex was coming out of tortas, aguas. And, uh, and tacos, which is what I, uh, what I do at La Calle. So the concept came into mind uh, back then. Uh, it only took me about 14 years to <laughs> kind of uh, put it together. Um, but uh, again, when I, when I saw Houston, I was like, I, I, I want to live here. I want to stay here. Um, I think that, um, you know, if you would have asked me or if I would have thought about opening my, my concept five, six years ago, I, I don't think I would have done it. Uh, I don't think it was the time. Uh, for a small, little, uh, you know, someone that's, that's you know, nobody, you know, and with not a lot of cash uh, behind me or anything like that to go and open my, my, my own place. I don't think it was the time, and I think it's, it's the time now. Um, something that I noticed, especially after 08, when, you know, casual dining took a huge, probably the biggest, the biggest hit, Something that I uh, notice is that people, you know, before you would have, you know, uh, Fridays, Applebee's, you know, every other mile you would find everything and, you know, people would just go and not, not drive more than a mile. 
Um, what I noticed after that big hit on uh, 08 is that people uh, were not going out three, four times a week. They were probably just going out once and and they were willing to travel five ten you know 15 miles to go and find something uh something specific uh you know something that they really crave and and that's that's what i um what i notice now it's 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 time where people will drive more not for the just the convenience but for what they really crave so how did you so right because there's a lot of sort of gringo taco concepts Mm -hmm. you know the you know, places that put, you know, chicken fingers and queso in a, <laughs> in a kind of stale tortilla. Uh, and they seem to do pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you're, you're a much more traditional Mexican perspective. Um, so in some sense, you're sort of competing with like taco trucks and, and mm-hmm. sort of small family-owned restaurants. How do you, what do you, what do you think La Calle's appeal is? Because I, I mean, my sense is that the concept's been pretty successful for you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. So, so how do you sort of stand out in in what's a a pretty competitive market? Obviously, we have a lot of sure. taco oriented restaurants in Houston. Mm-hmm, sure, sure. Well, you know, when I uh, first um, you know start considering opening, um, I my, my place is authentic. It's authentic, specifically authentic Mexico City street food is what we uh, what we serve. And uh, and I looked around and I did not see a place like a, a lot of really good taco uh, taco trucks around, but not a, like a really sit down place with a concept with a you know. And um, and I didn't see any. And and I was very scared because you know part of my my uh, thought was well if, if there's if there's not any it's because they're not successful you know because there's not a you know so. But I, I decided I, I miss the food. Uh, you know, that's the thing that I miss the most about, um, you know, uh, Mexico. I miss the food. And I said, I'm going to do something authentic, traditional, stay out of the, uh, uh, you know, Tex-Mex, stay out of the queso, stay out of the burrito. And, and I, I, I get a lot of requests for it. But, you know, that's not what Mexico City street food uh, is. So, you know, just just focusing on, on what I uh, thought, you know, our, our salsa is spicy, very, very spicy. Uh, and, and, and it is it is what it is. Uh, we've, we've had, and I, there's a lot of places that also uh, cater to blue collar, um, uh, taco places in some areas where, it's, where they're very blue collar, but there's, there's not a lot of uh, places that cater to, to, to white collar. So that's what I um, uh, hit on, and, and it's been pretty pretty successful so far. We have people, you know, driving from. Uh, uh, but when I first opened, the you know the, the the people would go to Discovery Green and then maybe stop by, you know. And right now it's 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 uh, the other way around. People come like the destination is uh, La Calle, and then they'll go and uh, visit Discovery Green and you know had, had something there. So I think it was just just the time. Yeah, I I think. Um, I, I mean, <laughs> I agree with you. It's your it's your business. You would know better than I would, but but I do think that the the fast casual model, the fact that you can see the tacos being made in front of you, uh, the fact that you have the different protein options and you can get flour or corn tortillas or a torta. You always have the agua frescas. You have the the Mexican sodas. It really does feel you know, in a, with the, the TVs on the walls and, mm-hmm. and, and all that, I do think it feels, um, transportive, right. That it, mm-hmm. it takes you, uh, off the, off the street, off of, off of the sidewalk on Franklin street and, mm-hmm. and into someplace else. I, I think that's been one of the keys. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and for me, and, you know, part of the, the DNA of, uh, of the brand is, uh, the the food is as important as the experience. Uh, the experience of you coming in and you know the the noise and everything that's not aesthetic uh, in the restaurant is there by the sign. <laughs> you know we, we made anti aesthetic uh, by the sign. Uh, the TVs, as you say, you will always and you know la calle means the street. So I, I try to mimic um, uh, someone. You know if you would go and go to a street stand. So you know there's like a dog. And you can find a dog over there, always roaming around. Uh, the TVs, you know, with the old rundown black and white TVs with a, a telenovela playing on the back. You'll always see that or the, the novelas and, and the, the news and stuff, películas del santo, all of that. Uh, you'll see some uh, 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 bags with water. And a lot of people see them. They don't know what it is. But 
always you will see them in a in a taco stand, you know, to a right. It's like flies. mosquito repellent. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah, the, the yeah. fly repellent. Repellent. So you always like you'll see some uh, um, items that you would find on a on a street stand. Um, so something big about uh, that, that I think that has helped because pe- a lot of people come and they they really um, you know they, they open their eyes at the, at the flavor and it's like oh wow the flavor. And, and, and at the end of the day, you know, it's just carne asada, you know, it's, it's not that complicated, but you know, I, in the restaurant, as you would find on a taco shop, uh, taco stand in Mexico, we don't have a freezer, we don't have a can opener, um, and, and we don't have a microwave uh, oven, very little uh, restaurants can uh, make the claim. And, you know, for where, when I first came to the States, everything used to taste the same to me. I could not distinguish um, the, the aftertaste, whether I would go to a McDonald's or a five, uh, four-star uh, uh, restaurant, the flavor would, the aftertaste would be the same. And I, uh, after many, many years, I realized that it's, you know, the, the preservatives that uh, food has when, when it's canned or, or whatever. And, um, and, and that's something that I believe has made us successful as well. Yeah, I mean, downtown can be a tricky market and, and certainly you've seen any number of businesses just in your neighborhood kind of come and go. Mm-hmm. Uh, what have you done? Do you think that kind of has made you successful in, in that area? Um, a lot of luck. I think that that specific location I have is, is very, very good. I'm a block away from U of H, a block away from all the courts uh, over there, a block away from all of the uh, uh, buildings. Uh, downtown has stayed, I've been there for just two years, and, and in jail has, been, has taken a huge turn of, uh, of what I saw. Um, you know, in, in the time I've been there, two, a block away, two 35-story buildings came up with, um, uh, you know, like apartment buildings. Uh, so people now are leaving there and, and all that. Um, I think that, you know, absolutely uh, uh, advertising social media has been phenomenal, phenomenal to me. Um, I don't think I would have the success that I have uh, right now um, without uh, social media. Uh, the outreach has been phenomenal. Yeah, no, and, and that is actually something I really wanted to talk to you about because your social media branding, like from the outset, has been like very strong, a, a very consistent voice. How did you how did you develop that? I mean, how did you kind of conceive of that? By um, by error. Let me let me tell you. Uh, when I first uh, if, when I signed my lease, the day I signed the lease for for the restaurant. Um, and I, I had put many, many offers in many other places and, and they would sometimes even laugh at me, you know, like a, it's first restaurant, you know, and, and they would laugh and everyone would uh, run away. Uh, so I finally got this, this place, I signed the lease and I have opened about, uh, more than a hundred restaurants, uh, in my career. Um, and always I have been, you know, after the certificate of occupancy, that's when I, as an operator, I would go in with my team. So I had a lot of experience on that side. I had zero experience on, uh, what comes before the the certificate of, of occupancy. So, um, I, in my mind, I thought, okay, I'll be, I'll, I'll be open in three months. And it took me nine months to open. So, um, I, I was sitting down uh, on a table uh, every single day. I didn't have a job anymore. I was just sitting, waiting from the city of Houston for for the permits. You know how that goes. And um, and and I just started working on on in, on the computer, on social media, Facebook, uh, building a lot of uh, uh, expectation around the place. Um, by the time we opened, we had about four thousand uh, followers. By the time we opened, um, and I was just like posting memes and saying, you know, it's coming, it's coming. I didn't know how how far, how long it was going to, uh, to take us. And, and, uh, and that's where I got to learn a, a lot about it by, by instead of just sitting down in front of my computer and having nothing else to do. Um, but clearly it's worked. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you've participated in kind of Facebook mm-hmm. conferences. Do I, do I remember right that Cheryl Sandberg once showed up at your restaurant? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, not, not only showed up, they, uh, they came, they, they had a summit here in, um, in Houston and, um, they, I came up in the radar because of the activity, and I do spend some money with them. Um, and they, uh, they, they contact me. They, they, in, in conversations with some, I had like probably six phone interviews. In conversations, uh, it came out um, that I helped out a little bit through Facebook. 
when the flooding came. And um, I was following uh, Saul from La Macro, a food truck. Mm -hmm. And I had been, I never met him. I had been following him because I have a lot of respect for that uh, food truck. And I saw that he was giving, uh, uh, going around and, and giving food to first responders and everything. So I uh, contacted him and I told him, you know what, uh, I, I lost power. I have no idea how long it's going to take me. And uh, I'm going to, um, and I see you're giving out. I have a lot of food. Come and take it. I'll donate all of the food and, and whatever. And he said, you know what, right now, uh, I just fed a family of four the last two tacos that I could scrape out. Uh, so I'm on my way. I'll, I'll, I'll get it. And he was able to go a few weeks more with, with, with the product. So uh, uh, Facebook and Joe Sandberg uh, uh, learned about that. So they went to the restaurant with more people that helped uh, during the flooding through, uh, through Facebook. And we had a really nice, very emotive uh, uh, little dinner over there. So it was cool. Um, so, okay, so so then do you have like, um, do you have like advice for people who are getting into this? I mean, do you have, um, do, you, do you, have you, what do you, what do you think it is that sort of works on social media and what have you, or maybe even more importantly, what have you learned that doesn't work? Um, what does work is just to be extremely, extremely uh, uh, participative. Like every, you know, every single day I put a post around, around something. Um, what works the best is whenever you post something and you see it's getting some traction, if you see right, and you can see it like, you know, five minutes after you'll see that it's getting some traction, uh, uh, boost it and, and heat up with it, you know, keep on going with it. Uh, that's what helps that, that has worked, uh, uh, the most, uh, for me. Um, what doesn't work is, uh, to try to just, uh, be posting and just try to be posting about your business and trying to sell and trying to offer and, and whatever. Post about other things, you know? I, I frequently post some, uh, you know, uh, 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 you know, like uh, memes that have nothing to do with the with, with it, you know? And I, I post uh, stuff, uh, you know, about food from other places. I very frequently mention other places, even my competition. Uh, and, and, and people, I think, uh, appreciate that. I think people are looking forward for that rather than here's La Calle again wanting to sell Right. Tackles, it's, a, huh? it's a little more authentic. It shows a little more personality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then and, you also added the cantina yep. last year. Yes. How's that going? It is going well. Uh, it is also, I tried to mimic an authentic Mexican cantina. Uh, the, uh, you know, it's all the theme uh, is Lucha Libre, which I'm a huge fan of Lucha Libre. I have a, a nice, uh, a, a real nice collection of uh, authentic, like, like real um, uh, authentic masks. Uh, over there. And it's going well. It played so well with uh, La Calle. Um, I got the space offered by my landlord. Uh, someone else wanted to get it. They couldn't get their liquor license. I was able to expand mine. I was not looking. I've been in the bar business for a long time. I was not specifically looking to get back to it. But uh, landlord made me an offer I couldn't uh, resist. And, and, and I took it. And what I did not want to do, I did not want to mess with La Calle. Uh, you know, and, and expand because it was working so well. So I, I wanted to create something that's separate, but together, if that makes sense. And, and it played really, really well. Um, it brought me so much business to, to La Calle. It's very uh, uh, convenient to, you know, be having some margaritas, some caguama beers, and then just walk over and grab some tacos, bring them back. Uh, it, it's been really, really convenient. Uh, so it's it's been it's been good. Um, it's also a sports bar. We focus on uh, boxing, soccer, and uh, and UFC, and um, we call it a hangover hangout, uh, where you know specifically go and have some uh, micheladas with a pozole and some tacos. I mean, forget about a hangover. Yeah, no, that's the the perfect hangover cure. Uh huh. And in fact, you for for New Year's Day, that that's what you did. Uh, all you can eat uh, pozole and menudo. Mm -hmm. with uh, Michelada specials. It sounds like a pretty good way to start the year. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. How, how was the turnout? It, it was really good. It, it's the third time we, we do it. Uh, every every year it's been growing. Um, I like the, the anticipation for it. I mean, for months before I start getting some, uh, you know, messages, hey, are you doing it this, this year? Uh, you know, how much is it going to cost and whatever. So it, it creates a lot of uh, anticipation and turnout was phenomenal. So... I mean, so from my perspective, you have now a successful restaurant and a 
a complimentary bar in, in one location. Are you thinking, and you have, you have all this experience with multi-unit restaurants, mm -hmm. are you thinking about expanding La Calle? Yes, yeah. The idea, uh, when I uh, wrote the, the business plan, um, I said 10 restaurants in 10 years. Um, I took the cantina, I took it as one restaurant. It was an investment and, and, and all that. But uh, that, is, that is the idea. And I want to bring this... Uh, I, I have a clear view of where my guests are coming from. And, and my guests are, you know, they, they, they tell me we, we had to drive all the way over here to, to find uh, something. So, um, so I have an idea. And, you know, it's Woodlands, Katy, uh, Pearland. Um, all those are the areas that I'm looking for. But I, I do want to grow it. Yeah. So, so parts of Houston that, that, again, like don't really have anything like mm -hmm. this, right? They, they probably have, they have a lot of Tex-Mex, mm -hmm. but maybe not. Uh, a casual, traditional Mexican option. Mm -hmm. That's correct. That's correct. So, what is your what is your timeline? Uh, one a year. So, I hope I can open. Actually, I have an offer uh, for one uh, site right now. It's taking longer than 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 what I uh, thought, but uh, but by the end of the year, I have to have one open. That's my that's my goal. Very good. That's my goal. And now, learning what happened with the first one, I know it, it's not going to be three months from the time I signed the lease. <laughs> it will be at least nine. So. I think I'm in time if I find something. Yeah. So, has the I mean, from from my perspective, and, and admittedly, I don't, I don't maybe get there quite as often as I would like to, but it 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 hasn't it doesn't seem to have changed very much since you opened it. Have you have you made any changes? Have you have you learned more about your customers as the as the time has gone on? Yeah, I actually I see this location as a, as a lab. It's a laboratory. I, I have um, been making a lot of uh, a lot of tweaks. Um, yeah, adding some specials, changing, uh, modifying some recipes. Uh, by design, when I first opened, I didn't uh, uh, write any 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 training materials. I didn't write any uh, even even recipes were were not written. By design, I was uh, um, they were open to for me to be able to play with them and and, and tweak with them. Uh, this year, uh, the goal is to have everything just set on uh, set, set on stone. But uh, yeah, it made I made a lot of uh, changes now. The core menu, uh, tortas, tacos, and, and the protein and the aguas and the proteins that I use, that 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 won't change. Uh, that that's that's what you will find in ninety percent of the taco stands in Mexico, and that's what it's going to be. So no queso. No queso. <laughs> Anytime soon. <laughs> uh, well, Ramon, I have to say that that does bring me to the end of my questions. Um, mm -hmm. Is there some aspect of the business that you wanted to discuss that I haven't asked you about? Um. Well, I know you have some promotions coming up, so actually we should we should talk about that. Sure. I have a really cool one uh, coming up on uh, January 29th. Uh, it happens to be my birthday as well, so we'll have a nice party. And I am going to reveal uh, that day how many uh, tacos we've sold down to the minute uh, that day. So uh, I have a promotion. If you go on my Facebook page, you'll find this event. Uh, you can win a thousand tacos. Just write uh, on, on the comments, put how many tacos you think we've uh, we've sold, and tag someone. You can people can uh, go and guess as many times as they want. They can guess as many times as long as they tag someone uh, someone different. And if you hit the number, uh, we have a really cool taco counter that's going to be counting if to the minute uh, uh, the tacos every time we ring them in the POS. And um, if you hit it, you win a thousand tacos. If no one hits it, uh, the person that comes the the closest uh, will win um, uh, two hundred tacos. So is this like a is this like a Price is Right situation? It, closest without going without over. Right. You can go over if you okay. go over by a fee. It's just the closest. Uh huh. Um, and is there like a? I mean, is there like a ballpark? I mean, you've been open for uh, for two years. Uh -huh. You sell seven days a week. Uh huh. You sell the tacos typically three at a time on a plate. Five at a time. Five uh, at a time. Uh -huh. Sorry. So, <laughs> so. I mean, this is a number in the hundreds of thousands, right? I mean, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, right now. It's six figures. Uh, the uh, the next uh, step will be um, the, the next promotion is going to be uh, whoever wins uh, the whoever buys the one millionth taco is going to get uh, something. So it's below one million. I can right. I can right. Tell. So and we're and that'll come sometime later this After. year. So mm -hmm. we're we're. 
we're building towards that moment. That's correct. So that's correct. Like a, a three hundred thousand guess, much too low. Uh, low. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Higher. Higher. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Between well, that and a million, somewhere between three hundred. <laughs> all right. That's that's an exclusive for the people yeah. listening to the podcast. Somewhere and between well, uh, three hundred thousand and a million. That's that's correct. And also that same day, I'm going to have a taco eating contest. And more or less how it's going to uh, work, there's no uh, cost to participate. Uh, the winner is going to get uh, uh, $300 in cash. Wow. Um, uh, second pre- place and third place, they will get uh, some, some gift cards. No cost to participate. Uh, but if you don't win, you pay for your tacos. <laughs> okay. Oh, so okay. it's on a Taco Tuesday, $1 tacos on Taco Tuesday. So if you don't, if you don't hit it, so that's, that's, I think that's a huge incentive for people too. Yeah, so you got to gotta, you win. gotta bring a pretty hearty appetite. Uh-huh. Otherwise, it's going to cost you. I mean, the tacos the tacos are small. I mean, mm-hmm. I think if I if I sat down and really wanted to, I mean, I could I could put down fifteen or twenty pretty easily. Mm-hmm. But I don't I don't think that's going to be enough to win. I think it's going right. to it's going to require well I was, more than that. I was looking the world, uh, and and I don't know you know the size of the tacos, but the world uh, record is one hundred and forty five tacos in so. in ten minutes. Uh, actually, it's in eight minutes. That's, yeah, the that's record. a lot of time. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. So let's see what happens, and then after that, you know, whatever that number is, I'll have some other kind of promotion where people, you know, if you come in and you think you can beat it, you know, we'll we'll measure it. And if you if you if you beat it, you don't pay the you don't pay your check. All right. Mm-hmm. That's really fun. Yeah. Uh, well, like I said, I think that brings me to the end of my questions. Uh, but you know, we do. I do wrap these interviews up with what I call the lightning round: mm-hmm. five easy questions, five short answers. Yeah, and so, I, I tried to get a heads up, and I couldn't. So yeah, and I've and I've it. tweaked them for 2019. <laughs> so oh, okay. So here we go. Let's do it, Ramon. What's your favorite cookbook? My favorite co- uh, tacos from Texas. Not really a cookbook, but you have the uh, yeah. No, very yeah. very on brand. Yeah. Uh, what is the What is the first performer you ever saw in concert? Uh, first concert I saw, Duran Duran. And I took a picture with them, and I, I do not have that picture. Oh, no. Yes, that's horrible. Uh, Duran Duran was the first in Mexico City. <laughs> what, is, uh, what is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru. Uh, probably Whataburger. Yeah. yeah, Whataburger. Who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? I'm, I don't know a lot about sports. Sports are not the. Uh, you you don't see Houston. you don't. I mean, I like several athletes live downtown. You never you never uh, see them sneak uh, into the restaurant. You know what? I since I don't know about sports that much. Uh, uh, you know, but do you have a? Maybe they they're there all the time, and I don't even notice. All right. It. So, who's your favorite luchador wrestler of all time? Luchador of all time, of course, El Santo. El Santo was. Um, and then finally, uh, what is your go-to pizza order? Like, if you if you. Well, if you're ordering from a pizza restaurant for the first time, what toppings do you get? Uh, eh, always, uh, when I get pizza, it's pepperoni with jalapenos. That's yeah. excellent. Pepperoni and jalapenos. Uh, Ramon, give us the website and the social media and all that for La Calle. It's uh, La Calle Tacos for everything. Um, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, lacalletacos.com for my, uh, for my website. Wonderful. La Calle Tacos for all. Well, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for the invite. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, and you can follow me on Twitter at eSandler, on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.